Nehemiah chapter 9. In Nehemiah chapter 9, as God continues to work among his people to build something within them, as they begin to praise the Lord, they begin to recite history, which is a good thing. And remember what all the Lord has done, and they remember the creation. They remember who God is in creation, and we preached about that in verse number 6. And as they recited the creation story, now they're going to recite the Genesis story about how all of the things of the children of Israel started there with Abram. And you know, the purpose and the rest of this chapter really goes through the history of the nation of Israel. And there's a good reason for that. If you, Several times in the Bible they'll have a portion of Scripture, a chapter that goes through the history of God's people and it has an intent. Psalm 78 is one of those places. And as he begins to talk about the history of Israel, he says that this next generation will know about God and know about the glories of God. And those things that God did will not be hidden from them. It will be a testimony to them. And also so they can hear this history story and not repeat the same faults and failures of their fathers. I remember in school, growing up in school, when, in a history class, they, they gave a little phrase, the only thing that men learn from history is that men never learn from history. That world it would, would have never been a World War II if people would have learned the lessons of World War I. And mankind just repeats the same, the same problems over and over. And so do generations of people. Instead of children growing up and seeing the weakness or the, the faults of their parents and saying, hey, I, I'm not going to go that way, sometimes they repeat the same sins and problems of their, of their forefathers. And you remember when, when Stephen began to preach to the, to the leaders there of the nation of Israel before they stoned him, he preached a message about their history. And he did all that at the end of it to say, you know, just like... Your fathers rejected God and were stubborn and stiff-necked. You're the same way and you've not learned from their history and how when you have a stiff neck against God, you're the one that pays for it. It's going to be your problem and your harm. Of course, they didn't learn from history. They picked up stones and they stoned that prophet and rejected that prophet just like they had rejected so many other prophets in their history. And so as Nehemiah in these days began to have this continual moving of God, they begin again reciting their history and praising God for their history. And the first thing, if you look at it, Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse number 7, he says, Thou art the Lord the God. <laughs> the first thing that they start to say, they just want to recognize who God is. Look at your Bible there. Thou art the Lord, the God. T-H-E, not a God among many. You are the God. 
Not a Lord, but you are the Lord. Thou art the Lord, the God. You're the one that we submit to. You are the one that you created, that's created us. And we don't recognize any other authority or any other Lord or any other God in our life. You are the Lord and the God. You know, that's exactly what David said. He said it in the best of ways in 2 Samuel Chapter number 7 and verse number 22, I'll read it for you in your hearing. He says this, he says, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee. There is no other God. Look at Isaiah chapter 44. That's repeated again to the nation of Israel. Because just like we have our idols and we put things before God, the children of Israel constantly did that. The first thing they needed to recite and remember and recall and praise God for was who He is. He's the Lord. He's the God. And so I shouldn't have any others. In Isaiah chapter 44, the Bible says in verse number 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. Look at verse number 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God besides thee, me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. If God doesn't know any others, there's no others out there, brother. There's not another God out there. He said in Isaiah chapter 45, the very next chapter, me and Brother Two comes from a place, they, they got a different God over there in Cambodia. They've got different gods in Thailand. They've got different gods all around the world. But you know what? There are some people that I know that say they're saved that have got some different gods. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, uh, you know, there are those that are called gods, but they're not real gods. And there are lords, little L, many. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of different things and people that put their life under to be their lord and their master and it's not the lord. You, you don't have to, amen, have a bone through your nose to have a false god. He said in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is none else. But wouldn't that be a good testimony we have? Lord, I don't have anything else but you. Amen. There's nothing else I'm leaning on. I'm the Lord, there's none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though, uh, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. If God's saying that over and over again, why would we go looking anywhere else? You know what I see? I don't see people saying, Thou art the Lord, the God. I see people that are their own God. You know, you're not God. You're not God. And so, it's not your way that's right, it's God's way that's right. I think, I think people love to be worshipped. 
The movie stars aren't God. They're so pretty and so nice and on the big screen. It's just a big worship fest is all it is. And, you know, young people worship all the pop stars and the movie stars and all. It's their God. I remember growing up as a teenager, I won't even tell you what the posters were, but I mean, even in my generation, people, we had Christian young people, you know, put big posters up in their room. It had nothing to do with God. It had to do with the gods they wanted to have. The lords, the people that they wanted to be in charge of their life. I'm not God. I'm not your God. There's only one God. You're not your own God. You don't, your boyfriend's not your God. Your husband's not your, is not God. Your wife's not God. Your friends, they're not God. Our political leaders aren't God. Your ideas or philosophies, that's not God. There is only one God, and besides Him, there is none else, and He ought to be the Lord. He ought to be the top of everything in our lives. And oh, He's a jealous God when we let other things creep up there. I believe a lot of people, I think the internet, some people's God. They spend more time with the internet than they do than they ever would spend time with social media is their God. Or their hairstyle is their God. Or their hobbies are their God. Or education or their job is their God. And the Lord says, and Nehemiah says, you know what? We just need to stop, guys. This wall that we built, it's not our God. And whatever, whatever's happening in our lives and whatever victory we have, we need to understand who God is. And not put anything to his rival. I never forget on the street corner, we, I forget which, I think it was Romania, it may have been another place, Brother Sutek, Brother Sutek would step out and he'd, he'd start preaching, My God is bigger than your God. That's what he preached. My God's bigger than your Catholic God. My God's bigger than your God of alcohol. My God's, because He's the only God, and besides Him, there's none else. Oh, we need a renewed vision of who the Lord is. Because if you'll see, if we'll see the Lord high and lifted up, if we'll see the Lord as the Lord and the God, we'll do just like Isaiah and we'll say, Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm convinced people want to be their own God. Or they want to put somebody else in their life. Or some philosophy. Do you know why we have such a rabid generation on these weirdo ideas? That's their God. Nature is their God. The planet is their God. Their liberal philosophy is their God. Their idea of humanity. And what they want, they're their own God. They're not bowing down to the one that made them. And say, you know what, it doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, because there's only one God, it's the God. And that's what Nehemiah is recognizing. But I see, secondly, not only who God is, but you know what we need to remember and praise the Lord for? We need to praise Him for what He did. 
what he did. You know what helps me to look back at what God has done? It helps me to believe and have faith for what he's going to do. He's done a lot for Nehemiah. He's done a lot for this little remnant here. He saved them from all their enemies that wanted to kill them and stop them from building that wall. He's brought them back from captivity. And how in the world? That was just a miracle of God that he did that. And the king paid for all that. Just a miracle. You talk about what God has done, but you know what they start doing right here? They start from the very beginning and start telling everything that God did starting from Abram. Oh, that's good. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Won't you start from the beginning? You know, we've forgotten half the blessings God's blessed us with. We've forgotten half the things that God has done. Matter of fact, there's probably a host of things that God's done for us. We didn't even know He did them for us. Here they begin to recite the history of, of praising the God of Abraham. I think Abraham's a, a great patriarch, but you know, they're not praising Abraham. <laughs> they're praising the God of Abraham. Watch your Bible in verse number 7. Thou art the Lord the God who didst choose Abraham and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gavest him the name of Abraham. And foundest his heart faithful before thee. And madest a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. To give it, I say, to his seed, and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous. Look at how many things God did in this verse, these verses. He's the one that did the choosing. He's the one that did the bringing forth. He's the one that gave him the name Abraham. He's the one that found his heart faithful. He's the one that made a covenant with Abraham. And he's the one that performed all those words. It's like Abraham was just along for the ride. God did all this in Abram's life. Watch, watch what he did. There's, let's, let's dig a little deeper. Thou art the Lord, the God, who didst, what does he say? Choose Abram. Can I say this to you? God's a good chooser. God makes good choices. You know why? Because the choices God makes, they last. You know, Abraham's seed, they're still around. I think he made a pretty good choice. He made a good choice. You know what I know about people? They make terrible choices. You know what would be a great thing? It would be a great thing if we'd understand that God has made so many good choices that I ought to just forget my choices and just take His choices. Wouldn't it be great? Lord, you never choose wrong. You know what God did? He didn't choose Lot. That would have been a bad choice. He chose Abraham. Why did He choose Abraham? Because He's smart. You know what he said about Abraham? He said this in Genesis 9, or was it 18? He said, I know Abraham. He'll command his children. He made a choice of somebody he could trust. You know, we make terrible choices, don't we? Every one of us. We make bad choices. 
But God makes perfect choices. You know what the Bible says? One day, uh, God the Father made a big choice. It was the, best, it was the greatest choice in all the history of the universe. He ch- the Bible says he set a stone, a precious stone, a cornerstone, chosen of God. You know what, you know, you know what God's choice was? It was Jesus. The best choice in the world. He's God's choice. All these people running around, all these hyper-Calvinists, you know, all these Calvinists talking about, well, God chose me. Oh, hogwash. There's nothing about you to choose. God chose Jesus. But if you choose Jesus, you get in the choice. He's the elect. Jesus is the elect. He's the cornerstone. He's the precious one. He's the chosen of God. But if you get in Him, you get in all of God's good choices. We had people here this morning that didn't make the right choice. God says, you know what? Jesus is the best choice. Why don't you choose him? But you know, every day you get up, listen, listen, church, every day you get up in the morning, you know what? You don't choose Jesus. And when we sin against God, we don't make a right choice. When we give in to temptation, we don't make a right choice. We don't choose Jesus. You know, your life is defined by the choices you make. Your life is not defined by society. Your life is not defined by your circumstances. Your life is defined by the choices you make. And what I'm telling you from this text, the Lord, He chose Abraham. Abram, He made a good choice. And and the best thing you could ever do was just let God make your choices for you. And most people won't. God did choose Abraham. He didn't choose Esau. He chose Jacob. You say, well, Jacob, he was a mama's boy. Well, it turned out to be the best choice. I'm not for mama's boys. God says, I I don't want Esau. You say, well, Jacob's got all these problems. Yeah, but Esau's got more problems. God knows how to make a choice, doesn't he? And the Bible lets us know as he chooses Abraham, he chooses his friend. You know, that book says that God had chosen the foolish things. You know, you would never choose something foolish. I would never choose something foolish. God's chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He's chosen the base things. In other words, the things that you'd never choose. You wouldn't choose the lowly thing. You, you and I would not have chose Joseph and Mary to be the caretakers of the Son of God. They're too lowly. But God made a good choice because He knows something we don't. And God chose by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And I'm telling you, God's choice is He could have had the angels talk to us. He could have wrote it out, amen, in the clouds. He could have made the stars blink lights to us and give the message. But He said, hey, I choose preaching. God says, you choose preaching. I like that. That's my choice. He's chosen the foolish things, the base things. He's chose the poor in faith or, or poor in, in wealth, but rich in faith, James 2.5 says. Makes a choice. We, we want to choose the rich. 
We want to choose the best. We want to choose the glitter. Come on now. I didn't buy I didn't buy a, a seventy five dart. I wanted to buy. I wanted to make a choice. You know, every time I buy a car, you know, it, it's amazing. After a while, I find a whole lot of things out about that car that I didn't know when I bought it. But everything looked perfect. It's all shiny. And the more I have cars, I see, man, half the thing is plastic. I mean, it's like it's like toy plastic that you make toys out of for kids. You know what happens many times with your choices? And nobody can talk you out of your choices. You just know this is the best thing. This is the prettiest thing. This is the most beautiful thing. This is the best choice in the world. And then you get into that choice, and it's not what you thought it would be. Isn't that life? You know what a good thing to do? God, I'm tired of making choices. You make the choice. Who didst choose Abram? Why did he choose him? The Bible says in verse 8, and foundest his heart faithful before thee. I think probably that had a lot to do with his choice, don't you? God found a heart that was faithful. You know, God's looking at our hearts. He really is. And I wonder tonight, you know, the Bible says in a great house, and I believe that's talking about God's house. In a great house, there's vessels. And there's vessels to honor and there's vessels to dishonor. And when God makes a choice about something he wants to do, would he choose you? You say, well, preacher, I'm not very talented and I'm not, I, don't, I don't have all the things just perfect. Abraham didn't either. Matter of fact, his name wasn't even Abraham. It was Abram. But you know what? God saw something in his heart that was faithful. God's looking at our hearts. And he made a good choice when he chose Abram. I see God doing something else here. Would you look at verse number 7 again? Thou art the Lord, the God, who didst choose Abram and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees. He brought him forth. You know God can get you out of a rut. God can get you out of a bad circumstance. God can get you away from bad people. God can even get you out of your genetic family wickedness. Can I say it that way? You say, well, you know, I remember my dad telling me one time, he said, you know, son, he said, all of... Because I used to ask him, I was a little boy, and we'd go over uh, to some of the relatives, and every one of them would be doing tobacco. I mean, they were spitting snuff and smoking, and I mean, it was like a smoke signal. You know, I thought I was on a reservation or something. I said, Dad, what's wrong with these people? These are my relatives. He said, well, everybody always knows that, that, that the Logans are a bunch of tobacco worms. That's what he, I didn't even know what that meant. I probably still don't know what that meant. But he, he said, they all just are given to tobacco. Every one of them there. You know, the, the, the great-grandfather, and then the grandfather, and then the father, and then the children, and then the babies. and Everybody just does the same old thing. It's just what the family does. You know, God can get you out of the genetic witness, wickedness that's in your family too. Yeah. You say, well, our, our family history, we've all had this problem. We have a history of mental illness. 
Well, most people do. God can break that chain. Well, our people, they're just given to drunkenness, you know. You go over there to, to Scotland, then those people drink whiskey like they're drinking water. You go over to Europe, and I mean you can get a glass of wine just as quick as you can get a glass of water. They're just they're genetically prone. That's just what they do. You know, God can get you out of that rut. God brought Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. What does that mean? The Bible tells us in the book of Joshua that Abraham and his father and all of his people, they worship false gods in Ur of the Chaldees. They were all heathen people. But amen, God was big enough to bring Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. It wasn't that Abram was so strong and so right. God brought him out of there. Amen. Aren't you glad today God brought you out of your sin? He brought you out that He could bring you in. If He can bring out the children of Israel out of Egypt and bring them in the promised land, He can bring you out of whatever you're in. What God can do. That was hard for Abram. Matter of fact, they left Ur of the Chaldees and they stopped in Haran. They wouldn't even go any farther. And so God started killing the rest of the family. God's got a way of getting us where we need to be. You say, preacher, you know, we've heard all that preaching on the family and the home this week. Nobody can do that stuff. That's just impossible in this generation. No, God can bring your family where it ought to be. He's got the power to do that. He just needs some cooperation. I can hear Oliver B. Green saying that in the back of my head. God can do anything, but there's some things God cannot do without your cooperation. He brought Abraham forth out of Ur of the Chaldees. And then it says something else God did. He chose him. He brought him out. In the verse 7, gave us to him the name of Abraham. God can change your name. <laughs> I started thinking about the Bible, meditating about, about all people God's, all the people's names he changed. You know, Abram's day looked at him and said, I'm calling you Abraham. God one day looked at him and said, I'm going to call you something else. <laughs> you're no longer going to be Abram, you're going to be Abraham. You know, he didn't just do that for Abraham. He, he did that also for his wife. She was called Sarai. God says, no, I'm going to give her name Sarah. God gave her a new name, gave her a new identity. God can give you a new identity. You know what he did to Jacob? He changed Jacob's name. I'm not going to get into all what these names mean. I don't even think that's really too big of a deal. But I understand Jacob means deceiver. Supply. I understand all that. But he gave, he gave Jacob a new name. You know what he gave him? He, of Israel. The name of Israel has come about in the Bible because God gave that name to somebody. And God has the power to name us and to change us. He changed his name. Not just Jacob, by the way. I never forget talking with that Jew, and we were talking about God changing Abraham's. You know, the, the children of Israel are all descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Abram's name was changed. Jacob's name was changed. Isaac's name was never changed. That rabbi looked at me and he says, "I said why?" He said, I, "He said, you know, why did God not change his name?" I said, "Oh, I know. I didn't even know what I was talking about. God gave it to me to be a witness to it." I said, because you see, 
Abraham took Isaac up on that hill to offer him up for a sacrifice. And God showed him a vision and showed him Jesus Christ. And Isaac is the type of Jesus Christ. His name doesn't need to be changed. It's there forever and ever and ever. That rabbi looked at me like I stepped off Pluto. You don't have to change his name. That, tri- that trinity. Abraham, Isaac, that's a trinity. Amen. And that one in the middle. <laughs> that one in the middle didn't need a name change. But I needed my name change. Aren't you glad for the new name that's written in glory? He said, he that overcomes, he that believe on the Son, I'll give him my new name. Boy, aren't, don't you believe Saul was thankful for that? I'm not talking about King Saul. See, when we say the word Saul, we usually don't even think about Paul, do we? All we can think about is Paul. That wasn't his name. His name was Saul. And God changed his name and gave him a new name. You know, he did that. He did that with old Simon. Simon, Simon. Satan hath desired to have you, sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. And by the way, Simon, I'm going to give you a different name. I'm going to call you Peter. You that are, that, that are prone to wickedness and sin, I, I'm going I'm to make you, I'm going to make something strong in your life and rock solid in your life, Peter. I'm going to change your life. I believe God can, I believe God can take a sissy boy and make a man out of him. I believe God can take a bitter woman and make a sweet Christian out of her. Amen. Amen. I believe God can take sinners and give them a brand new testimony. He did that for Abraham. You know what they're saying? Praise be to God for what he can do. He chose. He brought forth. He gave. He gave him a new name. And then the Bible says this. He says in verse number 8, And found us his heart faithful before thee, and madest a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and hast performed thy words, for thou art righteous. Last thing he says, you know what, God, you did? You made a covenant with somebody. And God... When you make a promise, you keep your promise. All the twists and turns. You know, if it had been us, about that time old Abraham got Hagar, we'd say, you know, I think I'm through with that old boy. Right? When his wife was back there behind behind the door laughing at the message of the angel of God, and, the, and they say, hey, why is your wife laughing? She says, I'm not laughing. I say, you know, oh, you are a bunch of liars. I'm going to go down to the next house. They're laughing at the promise of God. They're not believing the Lord. But yet God made a covenant with Abraham. And God is a promise keeper. He keeps every promise that he makes. It's not based upon me. It's not based upon you. It's based upon the fact that God is righteous. God is righteous in everything He does. And whatever He says is going to come to pass. You don't keep all your promises. You don't. You know, when we get to get down brass tape, the Bible says all men are liars. Every one of us is a bunch of liars. 
But God's not a liar. He keeps His promises. And so we ought to trust Him and we ought to praise Him that He's not like us. Thou hast performed thy words and you've given all this land to Abram. You've given all these lands of Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and all the other ites. You just gave all this land. Why? What did Abraham do? It's not what he did. It's how good God is and the promises that God keeps. God keeps His promises. God is such a giver. God is such a promise keeper and God is so righteous. You know, in the tribulation period, I'm ending. Can't believe I preached that long with two verses. But in the tribulation period, you know what they say? That angel flies around and I mean God's God's killing everybody. Guys, can you imagine? I, 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 don't, I don't know how far off we are from the rapture and, and the tribulation entering. I, I don't know how far off that is. But I know how many people in the world. And you, you talk about, you know, two-thirds of the population being wiped out. Man, that's just almost unfathomable. God's just killing everybody. You know what that angel flying around says? He says, thou art righteous. You're right, God. You're right. What you've done is right. And how you've done it is right. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You're right. And when we gather around the throne, we say righteous are His judgments. God's always right. He's right in His choices. He's right in His promises. He's right in everything that He does. I just need to trust Him and I need to praise Him. So let me ask you a question. Have you thought back in your life what God's done for you? Can you think back in your life where God's brought you from? And have you praised Him for every path along your life where He has shown Himself God and He's always been true and righteous with you?